Hello, and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you for just being an awesome God, for working in our lives, Father, and for being here today in this room. Father, I pray that uh, your spirit would open our hearts, that you would uh, have us to receive from your word, and that we would see, Father, your, your wonderful plan, your marvelous plan, Father, that you have been unfolding un, uh, and revealing, Father, to the world. I pray that we would see the history, that we would see the, the power of your strength, that you have a a purpose for what you're doing here, Father. And I pray that it would change us in the immediate presence, Father. Here today, we'd walk out this door uh, a changed person. Father, we give you this time, and uh, we just want to uh, receive what you have for us. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Amen. Um, If you are here for the first time, you can understand that Isaiah has been dealing with the king. And the king fell flat on his face after God did some wonderful things in his life. And now, Isaiah starts in the back half of his book, he starts to show us a tapestry, a beautiful artwork of, of, of an interwoven piece of cloth, if you would, of, of he's starting to unveil God's master plan. And what he's doing for Israel, and this is 700 years B.C. is when Isaiah is speaking. In Israel, he's trying to show that there's going to be three servants that he's talking about. We covered this at length the last few weeks, trying to catch us all up to speed here. But we saw that the first servant that was discussed in chapter 41 was this guy Cyrus. God was going to raise up an individual, uh, a Persian king, if you would, uh, and, and, and he was going to deliver Israel with the sword. He was going to be given the the green light to bring about victory. And it's important that there was a tangible person to bring about uh, uh, something uh, that they needed to see in their time. We were going to see that the Babylonians were going to come in and God is saying, don't worry, I'll tell you the name of the deliverer by name, prophecy. And we talked about the accuracy of the prophetic word last week. And then we talked about the second servant that was brought up, and we said that was Israel itself. Uh, we used the term. Uh, I didn't use the term. Uh, God used the rather flowery term of calling the second servant Israel the worm, <laughs> the, the failure, the, the one that let God down by, by not being able to produce. And so there's a, a good servant over here that was going to have victory with the sword, There was going to be the second servant of God that he loved and cared for, but they were not able to do what was necessary. And now all of a sudden we're being introduced to the third servant, which we're going to see is going to be a prophetic calling of who Jesus Christ is going to be. This is what's to give us the new strength. We're seeing that that God is trying to encourage us and to say, there are things that are going to happen in our lives that we need that are outside of ourselves. We all are really Israel. We all are in, in that place of Israel anyway that, that fail God. We, we 
are weak in our own strength. And when we read the Bible, the Bible wants to give us new strength, something outside of ourselves to strengthen us so that we can get through day-to-day life. And so the new strength, so that we could mount up on the wings of eagles, that we would never be tired, that we'd be strong. That's what we crave. And, and how are we going to get that strength? You're going to see that God can provide someone else to come with the sword to help you out, a deliverer. You're going to see that there's going to be <coughs> sorry, a, 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 a recognition of our own failures. And that's important for us to know, that when God looks at us, He sees us as weak. He's mindful that we're but dust, we said. And then God is going to bring about the ultimate deliverer, Jesus Christ who is going to bring about the word grace. He's going to do the things for us that we cannot do ourselves. And the Bible is saying that's the new strength. That's what you have to be encouraged in. That there's going to become the third servant, the Messiah, that is going to come and deliver the people from spiritual bondage as well. And so as we are coming now into this, we see the accuracy of of prophecy. We've seen the majesty of God, as Chris was saying with He's bigger than the galaxies. And now we get to see the servant. So we come into chapter 42 in verse 1. And it says, Behold, my servant. And now this is going to be different than the other two. He says, This one is whom I uphold. My chosen one. In whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. So if you catch this, it says my chosen one. Someone that's selected to do a job. Uh, The Greek word, well, the Hebrew would be, for the chosen one would be the Messiah. That's the Hebrew concept of it. The Greek would use the same concept of that and call it the Christ. The chosen one. Someone who's selected to perform a task. And so when Jesus says that he's the Christ, he's the one saying, I'm the one that God called to do this wonderful task. I'm going to do that because God delights in me and it's God who put his spirit upon me. He's put a little bit of him in me, Jesus could say. And he's the one that's going to bring forth justice. True justice, not corruption, to the nations to the whole world, to you and I, to everyone. And so his characteristics would be that he would not cry out or raise his voice. He's not going to do this by being a bully. He's not going to be one that's brash and screaming up and down the streets. He's nor going to make his voice heard in the street. And it says, importantly, his characteristics would be that he's a... a, Uh, A bruised reed he would not break. And a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not be disheartened or crushed until he has established justice in the earth in the coastlands. And we talked about that last week, that the coastlands were the Gentiles, the people that were way out there, people like you and I that... We're not raised in the knowledge of God, but the coastlands, the the Gentiles, will wait expectantly for His law. 
Now, interesting that his law is going to be distinguished from the law. But his law, he's got a whole different way of doing things. The Messiah, the chosen one, is going to come. And he's going to do things differently than the law. But his way, a system is going to be set up. He's got to establish a new pattern. So this is servant number three. And his characteristic was that he's going to care for the lost. And as we look at Christianity across the spectrum of other churches, uh, or, or sorry, other religions, you start to see that Christianity separates itself because it does have compassion for the lost. And Jesus is going to be the one that says he's going to care and love with justice. The new pattern he's going to establish is compassion. That's what it is. He uses this term, and it's important to understand what he's saying here. He says, a bruised reed he will not break. Now, for us, that's meaning if you think of a reed, you could think of a blade of grass would be considered a reed. You could think of a reed in the marsh where it's a, a, a something growing. And, and you could see that sometimes if you had the elephant march across the grass, if you step on the blade of grass, you could bend it over. And here's the picture of, of the Messiah is going to be someone who sees that, that broken blade of grass and he's not going to just say, ah, it's trash, rip it out. He's going to sit back and he's going to nurture it. He's going to hold it back up. He's going to prop it up. And he's going to say, you're weak and you're bruised, but I'm not going to eliminate you. I care about you. The, the burning wick, right? It says that... Uh, uh, a, a dimly burning wick. Here's a, a little flame. It's, it's, it's flickering. It's, it's on the verge of going out. He doesn't go up to it and just ah, quench it. He goes up and he fans the flame and he breathes on it. And he says, I want you to keep going. The, the love of Jesus is someone who sees the poor, the weak and the destitute. And Jesus' ministry is someone who sees those people and he encourages. He has compassion and he's there to fulfill his role so obviously there's a couple things here he's not the the first servant cyrus who we're going to find by name who comes and conquers with the sword that's the first servant and so there's a contrast obviously there's a different servant here obviously he's not like the second one that failed he's going to bring a execute justice because he's going to be doing it in god's power and he's going to have that compassion that love that's what Jesus had his problems with, with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, that Israel at the time lost its love for the lost. They would sit down there and they would watch Jesus and they'd say, Jesus, we saw your guys just you know, eating the grain off of the field. They didn't wash their hands properly. Let's go into the technical things that they're doing. And they belittled Jesus and his disciples. And Jesus would turn around and he says, I desire compassion. Did you ever read that in the scriptures? And not a sacrifice. He goes in Matthew chapter 12. You're seeing that they start to argue over the, the Sabbath and whether it was the right day and the right time. And what are you doing? They had the law. They were picking apart and attacking people because of the law. And Jesus was saying, don't you see someone who's poor and weak and destitute? And Jesus asked the question, he goes, well, what do you do if your, your ox or your, your donkey, whatever, falls into a pit? And it's the Sabbath. 
Well, don't you go up and save the animal even if it's on the Sabbath day where you're not supposed to work? Surely you'd go and save an animal. Well, then how much more is it for me to go and heal somebody, to minister to somebody, to do the work of God on the Sabbath? And Jesus was trying to show them to have compassion. But their, their view of the law put them in a, in, a, in a box so that they could have ways to get around caring for people. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. True, true religion, true, truly walking with the God is, is to care for people. Uh, it's, it's staggering. You see the, the Hindus, they've got their caste system and they, they, they break everything down and they say there's four classes of, 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 of people in this world. There's some people that are the Brahmins or whatever they are. They're the gods, you know, and they're just born to be better than everyone else. And then, you know, there's the second class, the third class, and they finally come down to the trashy class of people. And they say, you know, it's your karma. It's your karma that's wrong. That's why you have the problems. And they have this caste system. So, you know, if, if I'm filthy rich and I see you wallowing in the mud, I can look at you and say, you know, it must be sin in your life that you were born this way. It's your lot in life. Therefore, I don't have to take my wealth and share with you. I, I, can, I can have a disdain for the, for the lost and just tell them to go away. I can close a blind eye. Man loves to use the law so we can look at people and say, ah, they got to come in anyway. And Jesus' law is going to be love. He's going to see someone that's poor and destitute and say, it's my job. The greater shall love the least. It's my job to take care of that, that, that bent reed, that bruised reed, and, and nurse it along. To see somebody that's just struggling to get through life and instead of judging them and condemning them, he's going to fan the flame and say, let me help you up, brother. Let me keep you going. The ministry of, of the Messiah is going to be someone who is going to be an encourager. And Jesus fulfilled that role. He was the one that stood up and said, quit laying your laws of the Sabbath on. Here's a guy with a withered hand. You don't want me to heal him because of your technicalities? Certainly, we can heal him. Jesus is there, and I'm just reading from a quote of Matthew chapter 12. And he said in verse 11, And he said to them, what, what man is there among you who has a sheep? And if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, he will not take hold of it and lift it out. How much more valuable, you catch that? He puts value on people. Than, uh, how much more valuable then is a man than a sheep? So then it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and he was restored to normal like the others. But the Pharisees, the Pharisees went out and conspired against him as to how they might destroy him. See their hatred in their heart? They just couldn't handle it. It was a jealousy issue. They said, Jesus, if you're healing somebody, we want to kill you. Is that insane? Is that insane? That to see that, 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 that Jesus wants to do good and have compassion, and yet the evil of man would rather see someone do good and wants to go out and destroy him. 
But Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. Many followed Him and He healed them all. And He warned them not to tell them who He was. For this was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. And here, Matthew comes up and he starts to quote our passage of Isaiah. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. So he's not blowing trumpets. He's not yelling and screaming. He's not here to promote his name everywhere. He's there because he cares. And Matthew quotes this passage and says, a battered reed he will not break off. He's got to care for that guy more than an animal. And a smoldering wick he will not put out until he leads justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. And then you see a demon-possessed guy come up and was blind and mute, was brought to Jesus, and he healed him. To see someone demon-possessed. Don't you see someone that's demon-possessed? You go, what a wacko. Lock the guy away. Get him out of here. The guy's insane. And what Jesus sees when he sees what you and I deem insane, he says, I want to nurture and love and draw out of him. Jesus is offering us compassion. Obviously, for us as New Testament Christians that believe uh, that Jesus is the servant, it's a direct tie-in where Matthew is telling us this passage, this servant, the third servant that Isaiah talks about specifically is the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus Christ. It's a rock-solid tie-in for us as New Testament Christians as we watch and study the book of Isaiah for good purpose that we're seeing that Jesus is full of love. He cares for that, that bruised reed. And you and I sometimes are just bruised reeds. We're like, Lord, we've been stepped on. We're going down hard. I need new strength, Lord. And our hope is that we have a Messiah. He cares for the bruised reed. Rather ironic when you see Jesus being crucified. That it says in Matthew chapter 27 that they spit on Him. And they beat him with a reed over the head and mocked him. Rather ironic. Jesus is here to say, I'm here to to save the bruised reed. And the world takes the reed and beats it over Jesus' head. Jesus is here to love. And you're watching a stark contrast of the insanity of the hatred of the world versus the love and the compassion of Christ. And this Messiah is going to come with love and compassion. So he says in verse 5, back in Isaiah, he says, Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, God, bigger than the universe, who spread out the earth and its offspring, who gives breath to the people on it, in spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. Isn't that funny? In Mark chapter 10, the guy comes up and says, Hey, good teacher. And Jesus says, Don't call me good. Or or, or if you're calling me good, do you understand what that means? Because only God is good. And he's almost saying, You're recognizing it's the Spirit of the Lord. You're recognizing that if you're calling me good, that I'm the Son of God. 
And he comes in righteousness. Righteousness is even better than good. He says, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. He's going to be doing things faithfully. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you. This servant, God is going to uh, sit down there. Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ. He says, I'm watching over you and I will appoint you. Listen to this. This is mind-blowing. As a covenant to the people. As a light to the nations. So Jesus, when he turns around in John chapter 7 and says, I'm the light of the world. This is what he's talking about. I'm to be a light to the nations. When he turns around and he has, he's breaking bread and communion and he, and he says, behold, this is the new covenant, the covenant of my blood that I'm establishing. A covenant is a contract. Listen to this. It's an arrangement between man and God. And Jesus is coming in to establish a new contract. The old contract was the, listen to this, the law, the Ten Commandments. You better do this, 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 and this if you want to please God. And all of us know that we can never do the Ten Commandments. I, I, I laugh when I hear people say, well, I'm a good Christian. I'm going to go to heaven because I live by the Ten Commandments. And you have to get a giggle out of that and say, you do? You've never stolen anything? You've never blasphemed? You've never, you know, uh, lusted after your neighbor? Give me a break. Who do you think you're fooling? The Ten Commandments were never there for us to keep. They were given to us so that we would know that we are lawbreakers. And I sit down and say, I don't live by the Ten Commandments. I die by the Ten Commandments. And the new covenant is to say you don't keep the laws. The new covenant is that you're forgiven and it's the Messiah that has kept the laws and it's His love, His forgiveness that we are established before God. And so here it is. I love this. He's going to appoint you. This Messiah is going to be a covenant, a new contract with the people. It's a whole new way of things and a light to the nations. Everyone is opened up to this. And so it's a beautiful promise. It's amazing to see the things there. And this is what we were talking about last week. God's wonderful, marvelous plan. I know there's like four people got up and left on me last, last Sunday. And I think some people were upset because I said God was this mad scientist. And I said God's like. And I do. I see God. He's up there in a sense. And trust me, Isaiah is rather vivid. Well, just understand Isaiah. We'll get into a few more things today. But man, he goes, he goes for, for some shock value when Isaiah is talking. And he's up there, and you can see God. God is up there saying, I've got a wonderful, marvelous plan. I've got wonderful things that God wants to unveil for man because he sees that man's in a dilemma. And here, he's going, I've, I've got a wonderful plan, marvelous and, and, and he wants to unveil this Messiah, a new contract. And so he's saying this Messiah, the Christ, it has a purpose. Verse 7. It's important to open blind eyes. That's what Jesus is here to do. He's there to open the blind eyes. Because obviously man is locked in hatred and blindness. And people are blind to the love of God. People reject God for the craziest reasons. People get up and walk out on God for the craziest reasons. When God is offering love, compassion, mercy, people spit on Him. 
But his job, the Messiah, the purpose is to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon. People locked in guilt and fear and condemnation. Jesus is there um, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon into those who dwell in darkness from the prison. People sitting there shaking underneath the bondage of sin, afraid to approach God. Jesus is the one that's going to come in and says, it's okay, God loves you, there is forgiveness in my blood. And so he says, verse 8, I'm the Lord, that's my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. This isn't some idol doing this. This isn't some working of man's hands. This is the job of the Christ. And God is saying, it's my master plan. So he says, verse 9, Behold, the former things have come to pass. Now I declare new things. Before they spring forth, I'm going to proclaim them to you. I'm giving you the prophetic word. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing His praise from the end of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that it is in it, um, you islands and those who dwell on them, there's a new strength for us, you and I, way out here in America. Let the wilderness and its cities lift up their voices. The settlements where Kadar inhabits. Let the inhabitants of Selah sing out loud, mountaintop people. Let them shout for joy on the tops of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare His praise in the coastlands. So I like this. God's saying, i got wonderful things in store. Wonderful things are happening. You've got to understand that God's got a master plan to bring you and I, bruised people, into His love and into His mercy. And God's saying, hey, 700 years before the Messiah shows up, I'm telling you, this is the way things are going to happen. There's going to be a chosen one, a Messiah who is to come. The servant that's going to bring forth liberty. He's going to go out to the wilderness, to the boonies, to Columbus, Ohio, and touch you and I. 2,000 years after Christ is there, God has a long-reaching plan to come right into the little nook and cranny that you're living in. That little scared cave where in your heart you're saying, do I really want to stand before God? I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've done wrong. Do I really want to stand in front of God? I, I don't think I want to. I'm not that clear on Judgment Day that if I stand before God, He's got to put His arm around me because... I know what I said to my mother. I know what I said to my brother. I know that I stole. I know that I got angry the other day. And those fears come at you and what we have is the strength of the Messiah to liberate us. God's fighting for us. He's not there to condemn us. He's there to free us. So it changes a little bit now in verse 13. It says, The Lord will go forth like a warrior. Not the servant here. He's talking now about God. God is the one that's doing all this and He's the one that's going to fight for you. It says, The Lord will go forth like a warrior. He will arouse His zeal like a man of war. He will uh, uh, utter a shout. Yes, He will raise a war cry. He will prevail against His enemies. And here God is saying, Hey, I've kept silent for a long time. For a long time, everyone's looking and saying, where's God? Where's God? And how many times have you heard that? Where's God? If God's so big, why is the world all screwed up? Why don't we see these things? 
And God, I think he's hearing the gripe. And he's sitting down there, he's saying, he goes, I have kept silent for a long time. I have kept still and I've restrained myself. Now, like a woman in labor, I will groan. I will both grasp and gasp and pant. So once again, God's using this illustration of a woman in labor. Now, if you were with us a few weeks ago, uh, uh, we talked about this where man thought that he was in labor. And it was like the work of man was saying, hey, I've got this thing inside of me. I'm, I'm, I'm gasping and I'm, you know, you go through that Lamaze class, they teach you, go, hoo, hoo, hee, hee, hoo, right? And you're supposed to breathe all this to do your relaxation techniques and stuff. Poor Carla, my wife, had four C-sections. She never had to go through all that. But we went through the Lamaze class. They teach you how to do that. And here, man was saying, you know, oh, you know, I'm so full of myself. I'm going to bear forth this great child, all the things that I can do. And, oh, I think I'm going to bear forth. Oh, oh, oh. And then he said, oh, he was just passing gas, you know. And Isaiah's going, see, man tries to do this as just passing gas. You're not producing anything. There's no child there. And now, now Isaiah comes back and he says, here's God. God is sitting down there. He says, I've kept silent for a long time. I've been building this thing up inside of me, God says. I've been watching man in his condition. And he says, I'm like a woman in labor. You know what? But when I'm, I'm going to deliver something, it ain't going to be wind, guys. When God says he's going to deliver, you look out. I've got a wonderful, marvelous work. I have power. He says, I will lay waste the mountains and the hills uh, and wither all their vegetation. I will make the rivers into coastlands and dry up the ponds. I will lead the blind. So it's not all just destruction. He's here to do his strength for salvation. I will lead the blind by a way they do not know. In paths they do not know, I will guide them. I will make darkness into light before them and a rugged places into plains. These are the things I will do, says God, and I will not leave them undone. They will be turned back and be utterly put to shame. And here he's talking about those that don't want to believe that God has the power. They will be turned back and, and be utterly put to shame who trust in idols, who say to molten images, Oh, you're our gods. Hear you deaf, and look you blind, that you may see. Who is blind but my servant? Now, he's not talking about the Messiah here. He's now kicking back into the Israel servant. Notice that this is going to be a group of people, not a him, and not Cyrus with the sword. And he's going to say, who's blind but that other servant? Or so deaf is my messenger whom I send. Who is so blind that... Um, that he is at peace with me, or so blind as the servant of the Lord. There's an utter stark contrast here. Have you, you have seen many things. He's speaking to this Israel that's turned its back on God. You have seen many things, verse 20, but you do not observe them. Your ears are open. You got them on the hanging on the side of your head, but no one hears. You're not listening. The Lord was pleased for His righteous sake to make uh, the law great and glorious. Interesting verse, and I wish I could just capitalize on that. God says, I tried to work with you. I gave you the Ten Commandments. They should have broken you. 
You should have then come before God with a sacrifice. God gave the Ten Commandments, and he said when you break the Ten Commandments, then you go grab your sheep and your sacrifice, you go to the temple, you slice his throat, and you say, here, Lord, this one's for you. Something needed to be paid. There was also a process back. And God says, I tried to make this so that you would have this, so that you would always walk close to me. But you became dull with the law. Ah, whatever. Who cares? You hear that? I'm good enough to stand before God. I don't care about God that much. And God says, you're blind. He says, but this is a people, verse 22, plundered and despoiled. All of them, listen to this, are trapped in caves or are hidden away in prisons. You hear that? So what God is saying, he's saying, the second servant, Israel, they're the ones that are in caves. They're the ones that are blind. They're the ones that are in prisons. So you catch this? The third servant is there to deliver the second servant. But this people, plundered and despoiled, all of them are trapped in caves or are hidden away in prisons. They have become a prey with no one to deliver them. Israel's turned their back on God and now they're left alone. They're a spoil. Someone can grab them. And nobody's there to defend them. They're with none to say, hey, give those people back. God's saying, you know what? Here you are, Israel. When you turn your back on me, Israel, you're left out there. And, and, and without me, who's going to stick up for you? Nobody's saying, those are my people. Give them back. You've done, you've done the worst thing. You've turned your back on God. And so now he's saying, what are you doing? He says, verse 23, who among you will give ear to this? Who will give heed and, and listen at, hereafter? Who gave Jacob up for spoil? And listen to his argument. In Israel to plunderers, was it not the Lord against whom we have sinned? And so God is saying, Israel, you're my servant. You're deaf and you're dumb and you're turning your back to me. An ox knows its owner. A donkey knows how to find its way home. God says in Isaiah chapter 1, but my people don't know how to come back to me. I'm their father. That's God's heart as he sees his children. He created you and I for a purpose. He loves us. And he hates to see you and I separated from him. And it breaks God's heart. And he's trying to say, come home to me. I created you with a purpose. I love you. The Bible is a beautiful message of him drawing us back to him. And God is saying, you know what? When you turn your back on me and you want to say, we don't need God what good's God and all those morals and bleh? you you now you got a God problem, and the only way you're going to solve that is when you make yourself right with God. And so God says, you know what your problem is 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 me. You have to straighten things out with me. I'm the one that you have to deal with. Who gave Jacob up for spoil? Verse 24 into plunders. Was it not the Lord? You have a God problem. Against whom have we sinned? It's against God. And in whose ways were they not willing to walk? God's ways. And whose law did they not obey? God's. So if you're going to turn your back on God, he says, so he poured out on him the heat of his anger and the fierceness of battle. You turn your back on God, then you're left to the elements and you go have at it. The world is a wicked, cruel place. 
and it set him aflame all around, yet he did not recognize it. Israel wouldn't wake up, and it burned him. But he paid no attention. Didn't care. We have to read chapter 43. He says, But now, thus says the Lord your Creator, O Jacob, another term for Israel, He who formed you, O Israel, says, Yeah, I've thrown you out there to the dogs. I've put you through the fire, Israel. You've got it on my angry side. But he says, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. Even though you've, this is the beautiful part, even though you've blown it, I love you. Even though you have not listened to the voice of the Lord, God is still beckoning. He says, I still died for you. I redeemed you. I purchased you. I care about you. Israel, you have not strayed so far that I cannot call you back. He says, do not fear for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You're mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I have given Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in your place. Since you are precious in my sight, since you are honored and I love you, I will give other men in your place and other peoples in exchange for your life. I think that's a little bit of an illustration of the Messiah who would give his life in place for you and I. Do not fear, for I am with you. That's the promises of God. I will bring your offspring from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, just like that mother hen who gathers her chicks. Everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have made. Bring out the people who are blind, even though they have eyes, in the deaf, even though they have ears. All the nations have gathered together so that the peoples may be assembled. Who among them can declare this can declare this and proclaim to us the former things. Let them present their witness that they may be justified. Or let them hear and say, it's true. Come on, bring up your arguments. Who else is going to love you? You are my witnesses, declares the Lord. I care for you. And my servant whom I have chosen. Yeah, that's even Israel. He says, you're my chosen people. You're my sons and my daughters. You're in the family. And I'm sending my son, Jesus, to come and to redeem you. That third servant. So that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. God is saying, I've got a master, marvelous plan. And you're going to see it's my love that brings you home. Before me there was no God formed. And there will be none after me. There's no other God to trust in. All the other presupposed things that man trusts in that they think are gods by whatever name they are. God up in heaven says they're a joke. They don't exist. I'm the only God up here. I'm sorry. When it, you know We talked about last week, God sits in the room with the other gods. And, and trust me, he's sitting down there saying, excuse me, but I'm the only one here. 
There are no other gods to trust in. They're, they're fallacies. They're fake. They're the, the, the working of man's imagination. And God says, hey, before me there's no God formed. I'm sorry, it's not you know six gods for you to choose from. Which one would you like? Which one fits your style best? But what you believe, and, and you believe in your God, and I'll believe in my God. God says, well, sorry, I'm the only one in the room. You got me or nothing. And, and those are our, our choices to say, Lord, I want to choose you. And so he sends his, his son to open the eyes of the blind, to, to set the captives free. And he says, verse 11, I, even I am the Lord, and there's no Savior besides me. So God's master plan. He's saying, I'm the one that's going to go in and deliver you. So if you, you, you looked at the burning house, you hear the cry of the child and the, the, the house is engulfed in flames. And sooner or later, even the firemen would say, we can't go in there. there there's, just, there there's no way that if a man goes in there to save that child, he's going to come out alive. And in a, in a, in a, a professional, a, 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 a fireman would say, we can't do that. But you know what? You go up to a parent and you say you can't go into that house. That parent will say, I don't care what it costs. I'm running into that house. So long as I can hear my child, I'm going to go in there. And God says, I'm the one going in after you. You're the one stuck in the fire. Everyone could say there's no hope for you. But God says, I'm your Savior. I'll go in for you. I care about you. It is I who have declared, verse 12, and saved and proclaimed. And there was no strange God among you, little g, non-existent God. You are my witnesses, declare the Lord, and I am God. Even from eternity I am He. And there is no one who can deliver out of my hand. I act and who can reverse it? This is all my doing. you got a God problem. Deal with God. Make it right with God. For thus uh, says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake I sent to Babylon those that are going to come and destroy the nation and will bring them all down as fugitives. I'm going to wipe them out. Even the Chaldeans, the region which Babylon was located in into the ships in which they rejoice. They're so proud of their ships, they're going to come back as slaves in those ships. There's, there's nothing in this world that God can't take care of, even the Babylonians. He says, I'm the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus says the Lord who makes a way through the sea and a path through the mighty waters which we could underline that verse and write Christopher Columbus was always the one that was thinking of the, the currents and the channels in the sea as paths. So there's got to be ways for the ships to travel and if you catch the currents, you can get it from one side of the ocean to the other. Who brings forth the chariot and the horse, the army and the mighty man. They will lie down together and not rise again. They have been quenched, listen to this, and extinguished like a wick. So, there's a contrast here. God's child who cries out for help, he's going to show compassion on. 
for those who come against God's will, God's way. They're fighting God and they will be destroyed. Do not call to mind the former things or ponder the things of the past. Behold, I will do something new. A whole new way of looking at God. We always think of God in the old way, don't we? The law. We always think that we're going to be judged and condemned by God because of what we do. Every time we think of God, we put God in a context of God's going to get mad at me because I've done something. We feel that condemnation. The new way is going to be forgiveness and love, compassion. And God says, don't think the old way. Don't put all that stuff into your mind. Think of the forgiveness and the love of the Messiah. Behold, he says, verse 19, I will do something new. Now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? Or even make, uh, I will even make a roadway in the wilderness. And I like that. The more I study Isaiah, I really believe that that's the theme of Isaiah. A highway, a roadway in the wilderness. The world is a great big desert. We feel alone. God's got this massive construction project underway to build the superhighway to bring access to Him. I like that. Jesus is a highway to, to God. Hebrews tells you that pretty clear. That we have boldness to enter the throne room of God by the blood of Christ. There is a highway the size of Texas that you can have access to God and there's no need to have fear of God. We watch this highway theme uh, all the way to chapter 40 and several places through it I'm really starting to hear this highway there's a roadway in the wilderness where it seems so barren we're lost and we're empty rivers in the desert where we're, we're thirsting and, and there seems no, no water there's a river all of a sudden that shows up that's what God is to our soul the beasts of the field will glorify me the jackals and the ostriches because I have given water in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people. And obviously we're locked in the Old Testament. We're seeing that God is dealing with Israel, His chosen people that had such potential, that have a highway staring at them. He says, This people, though Israel, the people whom I formed for myself, and you watch a complete change here of sadness, the people whom I formed for myself would declare my praise. That's what it was intended for, that they would be able to come back and say, thank you, God, for delivering me from that burning house. Yet, you haven't called on me, O Jacob. But you know what, Israel? You have become weary of me, O Israel. You know, God's saying, oh, I'm sorry, Israel. I'm sorry I'm such a burden in your life. Oh, is it that hard to come and make a sacrifice on the Sabbath? Is it that hard to come? I don't mean to tire you. Obviously, I've burned you out. You've got so many things in your life. You just don't have time for God in your life. Is that what it is? I go charging into the burning building. I send up my master plan of a highway in the wilderness for you. And Israel's response is what? I ain't got time for that. You hear that? Listen to verse 23. This is a sting. 
He goes, you have not brought to me the sheep of your burnt offerings. You shouldn't be sitting there saying, God, I, I owe you the best of my flock. I owe you the best of the things that I have. And Israel's saying, I don't have time to bring you a sacrifice. I'm too busy raising the farm. Nor have you honored me with your sacrifices. God says, I have not burdened you with offerings, nor wearied you with this incense. I'm not demanding this of you. You have brought me no sweet cane with money, nor have you filled me with the fat of your sacrifices. Listen to this. Rather, you've burdened me with your sins and you've wearied me with your iniquities. So God's like, you know what? I'm up here in heaven. I've done this wonderful thing. And the only way I can get Israel's attention is when they come into the temple to sit down and to whine and to complain about how bad it is. Oh, Lord! I'm going to go to church and go lift up my prayers because i got a long line of complaints. And you can almost hear God says, Man, you're killing me. Wah, 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 wah. Now, God's a God of compassion. But somewhere God is saying, You know what? I've done a marvelous work. Do I get a thank you? How about somebody saying, Thank you, Jesus. Here, listen to this. I hate to be cruel. Here's a sacrifice, God. I, and you know what? I've been so stoked by what God has done. I'm willing to give. I'm going to give where it hurts. Oh, we don't want to do that. No, no, no. We just like to go to church and we want to complain. Yeah, we had this guy in our church when we started, man. He was... He was a doctor. He was being sued by the satanic ex-wife. He lost his medical license. He lost this. He was being sued for that. Couldn't pay his child support. The guy was broken. When we met him, you know, my wife was a cashier at Big Bear way back when, when they were open, and meets this guy, and he's like, you know, I'm a doctor, but I'm just getting sued. And he had a Calvary Chapel hat on. And Carl invited him over, and he's like, you know, but the last Thanksgiving I had, we had to have microwaved hot dogs. And so we take this guy in the church, and we love him. We pray with him. We do everything we can. And one by one, you see God start to bring about victory in his life. He turns around, and the, the lawsuits are settled. The ex-wife is taken care of. Things are in place. He starts to have respect in his children. His his medical license is restored. He's now making $125,000 a year. Think he's in church? <laughs> yeah. Runs off with a girl half his age and goes to fornicating. And, and I feel, you know... It, 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 God is saying, he says, you know, so many times people they come whining to me with all their problems. Oh, we just got to go to church when we're just underneath the vices of God. You know, we're just getting squeezed and we go, God, I, okay, I'll go. And somewhere down the line, God says, look, I'm bringing liberty in your life. Can I get a thank you? How about a sacrifice back? How about a little sweet cane coming my way? And, and God's sitting down there saying, you know, we have an obligation to, to respond to God. Not just in our trials and tribulations, which God is there for. And He takes care of us when we're bruised and we're wounded. And He'll always, always, always be there when you're hurting. And He'll take care of you. And He's not there to rub your sins in your face. He's not there to sit down and put you down. He's not there to judge according to the law. He loves you. 
but somewhere in that formula is God is saying, hey, did I, did I now bore you? He's looking at Israel. He says, what, did I treat you too good? He, what, did, I, did I bore you with having to come to the you know, temple on Sabbath? You, you turned your back on me. And you could hear God sigh, groan, just, just a, a twinge in his heart. He says, you just wearied me with your iniquities. He says, verse 25, I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions. I've forgiven you. For my own sake I did this, just because I love you out of my good nature. I won't remember your sins. He says, put me in remembrance. You hear that? Put me in remembrance. That's God's request. Can, can you put me on the forefront of your mind just throughout the day? Does my name leave your lips in something besides vulgarity? Can you say, thank you, Jesus? Put me in remembrance. Let us argue our case together. So you've got to beef with me, God, saying, you, you think you know, you're upset, you've got problems, where's God in my life? You hear what God's saying? He says, hey, at least come to me and complain to me. At least we're talking. I'll take that. And, and, and here he's sitting down there and says, hey, you want to, you gotta, you, let us argue our case together. State your cause that you may prove what's right. I'll listen to you. I care. But don't ignore me. Don't treat me like trash. Don't sit down there and say, who's got time for God? Christianity, by its definition, if you want to be born again, is asking you to lay down your life. And to say, Lord, there's no longer an I. I'm living for you. That's what God wants. Is us to sit down and say, Lord, every day, everything I can do is to serve you. Full throttle. No holding back. It says, your first forefathers sinned, and your spokesmen have transgressed against me. So I will pollute the princes of the sanctuary. And I will consign Jacob to the ban in Israel to revilement. Tough words, God's saying. He's saying, you know what? If you turn your back on me, there's nothing out there. We said that last week. There's that God-shaped void in your heart. God created you. He loves you. He made you. He wants to bring you into the kingdom. And if you try and fill that as he made you to say, you're never going to be complete without me. And if you think you're going to be without him, you're fighting an uphill battle. God says you're off to the band. That has a stronger meaning to it. If you understand Joshua, the battle of Jericho, they smashed Jericho and they came into the promised land. And God says, you know, don't touch a thing. That's my city. I smashed the walls. That's not for your money. And Achan went out to Ai and he stole the gold and brought sin into the camp. And God said, that's under a ban. You're not supposed to touch that. And he says, if you're going to turn your back on me, it's like you're, you're out there. You're, you're in a, a void, a, the don't touch place. The, the thing that brings you back is when you turn your heart to the Lord and you say, Lord, I need you. I love you. I'm hurting. Don't judge me, Lord. I'm telling you, I failed. And God turns around and says, I love you and I care about you. I paid the price. I've got a master plan. I want to have fellowship with you. God's desiring with you more than anything else just to be with you. He loves you. Do you believe that? 
I mean, honestly, do you really believe that? There's people that are convinced that, no, God doesn't want me. God doesn't care about me. No, you don't know what I've done, Pastor Dave. I mean, I was a Christian, and I still went and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. God doesn't want people like me that does things like that, because I know that I'm fighting God at this point. God's calling. He's beckoning you to say, come to me. Find love. Find repentance. God is calling you. He wants to put His Spirit not just on you, but in you. And we're going to develop, as chapters go on, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But there's a calling. He's beckoning. And if you don't hear anything in this passage, you've got to hear God's calling. God crying out to say, what else can I do? i got a master plan to bring you home to me. He's saying this to the Gentiles. Yeah, we got Israel as an example. Israel's going to be redeemed. But don't forget, this message is to the coastlands, to you and I, strangers to God, to the people that are out there. He wants you in your little cave, in your little hole, to come out of that hole and to say, God, is it okay to come out? I'm not going to get shot. I'm not going to get killed. There's not an enemy with a sword ready to cut my head off. We feel like if we just hide there, we'll, be a, you know, we'll just survive. And God is saying, come out of your hole. Come on out. Come out of your prison that you're locked in with your fear and your guilt and your shame. And he says, I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to sit down there and to free you and to liberate you. Amen? Jesus came to set us free. Why don't we stand and we'll close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to come before You. Father, all of us are a little afraid. A little shaking in the boots, Father. Father, I I know that Your Word says that if we confess You as Lord and Savior, Father, if we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouth, we'd be saved. And Father, what we need to do is to walk in repentance. To bring ourselves out, Father, and to recognize that we need You. Father, if there's anyone here that's running, that's afraid, I pray, Father, that they would be changed here today. They would come up to the altar. They'd receive prayer. They would make a sacrifice, Father. And, Father, without a sacrifice, it's an insult to You. Father, for us, that we would take our lives and give that over to You. Father, I pray that we would come and be moved enough to say thank You. And Father, I pray that for those of us that are Your children, that walk with Your promises, Father, and sometimes feel wearied, I pray that You would give us new strength, a new energy to see that You have a plan that is bearing itself out through the Messiah. Father, we are weak. We are bruised reeds. Father, I pray that we would be strengthened by Your love and compassion. Work here, Father, right here today. In this group, Father, I know that there's people that need to receive You, Father, to be saved. I pray, Father, that there are people here that have been running from You, Father, out of fear. They would put an end to it. 
And Father, for us, we would all come before You thankful with sweet cane, Father, and give to You a sacrifice of praise to lift up our voice, Father, and to say we're not tired, we're not weary. We want to serve You, Father, and to seek You. Father, we praise You and we just pray, Father, that here today Your Spirit would move. We give You all the praise and all the glory, Father. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.